Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 60 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Leading Remote Teams, Outcomes, Not Inputs. We get a range of listener questions that are variations on a theme. How do we manage a remote team? This week, we're going to take on a question from our listener, Adrian, who asked for some hints on running effective meetings with remote teams. I'm just going to broaden this out a little to take a more holistic view of leading when you don't have physical proximity to your people, because this can be tricky. So we'll talk about how the world of work is changing. Then I'll move on to the importance of local leadership. 
And we'll finish by getting specific about what you can do to ensure each location delivers. So let's get into it. I want to give you the punchline early. Leading remote teams is absolutely no different from leading any other type of team. Just the same way as we heard in a previous episode, leading millennials is no different from leading Gen Xs or baby boomers. It's just that you will get away with a lot less. There's a little bit more risk with remote teams, and great leadership will enable you to overcome any of these issues. So let's take a look at how the world of work is changing. Shifts in geographical location have been going on for a really long time through globalisation and the rise of multinational businesses. But these days, even much smaller businesses can expand rapidly into different geographical locations. It's not just the big multinationals anymore. Rapid expansion for smaller business has its pros and cons. There is a cost impost through the setup and running of a new location, but the value is proximity to your markets. Now, I've seen many fast growth businesses overextend and run into cash flow problems when they expand too quickly. So for listeners in high growth businesses, be careful about expanding too quickly into new markets. We always tend to underestimate the degree of difficulty of doing so. Having said that, local knowledge has real advantages. So you can't even contemplate running a business in China remotely. You can't even run it with an expat that you parachute in. You need a local who knows the lay of the land, has deep relationships and can navigate the unique issues of operating in that economy. It's completely different. But geographical dislocation of the workforce is becoming a much more common problem. It's not just for multinationals. It's not just businesses growing into new locations either. The local workforce is being dispersed through flexible working arrangements. So now we have individuals working remotely, working from home for example. Technology is there to support it, but there are also many issues that arise because of it. So for example, arguably there's an obligation on the employer to provide a safe working environment. Now, you've got control over that as long as people are coming to your office. What happens when people are working from home in the home office? Communication protocols and opportunities are quite different because when someone's not there, you can't just stick your head over the partition to ask a question or give a direction. And of course, it's harder to work out what's going on in terms of monitoring progress. Now, this is at the heart of Adrian's question. The technology exists to do this, but what do we lose when we don't have the face-to-face interaction and how do we overcome that? We know that observation and measuring of inputs, so for example the time spent at the desk, is not a useful measure of progress and performance. That's why leadership has to shift from a command and control model to an influence model, and progress moves from observed activity to delivery of value. So it moves from inputs to outcomes. Let's move on and have a think about the importance of local leadership. Now, in this piece, I'm going to specifically address the distributed business office scenario rather than the case of an individual working from home. And I want to use an example to talk about the criticality of local leadership. Now, some of you may be familiar with the DuPont company. If not, you'll certainly know some of the things that they've produced. They're a global multinational over 200 years old, and they are fundamentally a science and innovation company. They have lots of manufacturing of high-risk products, that is, dangerous chemicals under heat and pressure. The company started manufacturing gunpowder in Wilmington, Delaware in the early 19th century. And interesting fact, over half the gunpowder used in the US Civil War was manufactured and delivered by DuPont. Over the years, DuPont's invented many wondrous materials that are in widespread use throughout society today. So in the 30s, they invented nylon in all its forms from ladies' stockings to high-end automotive parts. They invented Teflon, the stuff that stops the eggs from sticking to the fry pan. 
They invented Kevlar, which stops bullets from penetrating the skin. And they invented Lycra, without which, of course, gymnasiums would be very much different places, and the packs of middle-aged men cycling through the suburbs would be nowhere near as offensive. But interestingly, DuPont was also the firm credited with the first attempt at reporting on ROI, return on investment. As the story goes, one of their salespeople came up with the calculation for the first time in 1912, because he thought it was a better measure of performance than the rudimentary revenue and cost metrics. Uh, But I digress. A couple of years ago, DuPont was part of a mega merger with Dow Chemical, and it's now known as Dow DuPont. DuPont was one of the first companies to really take industrial safety seriously. They killed hundreds of workers in the early days of their gunpowder manufacturing, which they worked tirelessly to improve. I came across them over 10 years ago when they were engaged to do safety consulting work inside Horizon. And I spent time in the US with DuPont, touring their operations and learning what world-class safety performance looks and feels like. Now, what does this have to do with remote teams? Well, there was a time when DuPont was quite acquisitive, taking over lots of smaller manufacturing operations and consolidating them into the DuPont family. But I remember a conversation I had with one of their senior execs very clearly, a number of years ago, about how they handled the risk of bringing businesses into the DuPont fold that may not have had the same standards for safety performance. What he told me was very telling. Whenever they bought a new company or operation, the very first thing they did was to replace the general manager of that site with a DuPont person. Now, it wasn't to say that the incumbent general manager wasn't an excellent person or wasn't doing a great job. They simply didn't want to take the risk of having a leader in one of their sites who didn't do things the DuPont way. They mitigated this risk by putting a known, trusted leader in to run the operation. That way, they could be sure that things would be done the DuPont way, so that their values and culture would be observed, that the standards for behaviour and performance would be implemented, that their accumulated knowledge of industrial risk would be brought to bear, and that the relationships required to navigate the mothership, or the head office, were actually going to be in place. Now, under those circumstances, running a remote worksite is much easier because you've de-risked the major elements. You've got someone in there who you trust to do the job the same way you would if you could be there yourself. So even if you don't have a machine like DuPont, the golden rule is that you need to have a leader in every remote location that you trust to do their job, according to your values, mindful of your delivery imperatives, and you have to be confident they're not going to go rogue. But beware, physical separation builds independence, sometimes a little too much. And the out-of-sight, out-of-mind principle is alive and well. So we're in our own little microcosm, and this often heralds the rise of the rugged individualist. They pay lip service to their obligations to the broader corporation, and they do what they want. They create their own little fiefdom. So if you're managing remote sites, what can you do to ensure that each location delivers what you need? We'll start by making sure you have the right person in place. For me, this will be the biggest predictor of likely success, and it'll also determine how much time and energy you have to put into that location to make it function. This is just like any other appointment, but it's more critical when you don't have visibility of the day-to-day. It's also akin to my view that the most important thing a board ever does is to appoint the right CEO to lead the business, because a board has limited visibility of what the CEO and management team actually does. I'm going to take you through nine points that are going to help you understand how to manage remote teams. Number one, understand the unique differences in the remote operation. So you've got to start with the basics. For example, 
if you have operations in different countries, you've got to be cognizant of the time zones and technological constraints they might have. There's no point in expecting to have the same level of communication with a remote mine site in Ghana as you would have with a capital city head office. And be respectful of people around time zones so that when you're setting meetings, you actually know if it's 4.30 in the morning in their location. You've got to understand the local culture too if you're dealing with an international operation. So be aware of the differences in the regulatory environment, for example. You don't need to be an expert, you just need to have a basic awareness and know how and when to rely on the local team to give you the goods. Number two, have a communication strategy. Now, technology is wonderful and it's great that we can all use Zoom and Skype and these wonderful things that give us instant access face-to-face, but we should use it as part of the comm strategy, not the entirety of it. And if you're using technology, don't nickel and dime it. It's got to be reliable. So find a way to give yourself reliable comms with these remote locations. Having said that, there's no substitute for being there. So make sure you have a schedule of visits to all the sites for which you are directly accountable and set that expectation for any regional or area managers you might have below you. So you need to spend loads of face time with your direct reports. Much of this should be one-on-one, so you need to go out to their location and make sure you meet with them there, and whenever they come to the central office, make a point of putting time aside for them. But you need to ask loads of open-ended questions. Have them explain to you what they're doing and focusing on, and listen for echoes. It's also appropriate to have group sessions, and at CS Energy, I had a forum called the CEO Forum, which I ran every quarter, and what I would do is bring the top leaders in from all the sites, and we'd sit down for a couple of days and go through things like strategy or corporate-wide initiatives or operational planning or whatever the case may be, because each one had a different theme. But I would go down to CEO minus three level in our operations for those forums. So there'd be uh, below me, an executive general manager, a site general manager, And then below that, the managers who had their hands closest to the levers that we were pulling out there to get the results. And when we brought them in, I could tell very, very quickly who was on the same page and who wasn't. So not only did it give them an opportunity to get messages from the mothership, it also gave me the opportunity to see who's who in the zoo and who I thought was performing and who wasn't based on how they participated in those forums. But there's no substitute for touching, smelling and tasting the distributed team's environment. You've got to visit their location and talk to people, at least occasionally. doesn't have to be every week, but make a point of doing it. Otherwise, you're only going to know what the leader tells you. And that sometimes is sugar-coated, even if you have got a reliable, trusted leader in there. Now, there are two other quite important serendipities that you'll get from spending time on the ground. The first is that you should never underestimate the impact that you can have just by going out and visiting the operation and talking to people and letting them know that you care. The other part is building relationships throughout the layers in the organisation so that those people feel as though they can talk to you if they need to. And it's very important that you don't just operate through the organisational hierarchy, that people have other methods of getting to you. In CS Energy, there was more than one occasion where I had a frontline supervisor call me to tell me something. Now, obviously, they need to go back through their normal management line, but it's just really good to have the proximity to the information coming from the ground. Number three, be really clear about defining the outcomes that you need. Now, because you can't measure inputs, you're not there, you need to be able to measure the outcomes really, really clearly. So clear metrics and delivery targets have to be put in place. And they need to be both qualitative and quantitative. So if you just go a results focus, then you'll miss out on the how. And this is where a lot of cultural problems stem from in organisations that are widely distributed. 
but make sure you can see from a distance what's going on and that you can track it. It's the milestones that will tell you whether or not things are on track that really count, and you need to develop a really finely tuned bullshit detector to know when things aren't on track. Now, an old podcast episode that might help you is episode 19, which was called Execution for Results. So if you get a chance, go back and have a listen to that. Number four, if there's someone in between you and the remote site, make sure you push for clarity. How well do you really know what's going on? You can't just rely on what the person next to you tells you. You've got to seek to calibrate that with your own experiences. So we come back to the issue of going out there and making sure you can touch and feel the operation. But make sure you drill into any reports that are mission critical to see if the outcomes are really being delivered. Now, in a past life, I had an operating site that just kept missing its targets. And I'm talking about everything. Safety, plant reliability, any culture measure we put in place, and of course, all its financial targets. It was just a really poorly run operation. But my EGM always had a reason why something had gone wrong. And let's face it, all of those reasons are just dog ate my homework variations. So I jumped in below and started spending time with the general manager to find out the extent to which he may have been the problem. And the answer to that was a lot. He was a lot of the problem. And then I had to think about the next level down. So once I started replacing the leaders between me and the people doing the work, the site started to get back on track and it actually became the model of turnaround performance. So just make sure that you don't believe what you're getting locally, that you go and test it yourself. Number five, make sure you have good visibility of the how, not just the what. Culture is really important and much of the risk lies around local deviations from central standards. So you need to measure culture, you need to carry out 360-degree surveys on your leaders, you need to run talent mapping processes, all of the stuff that shows that you're paying attention to what's going on in a different location. I love the story of Korean Air as told by Malcolm Gladwell in his book Outliers, which, by the way, is one of my favourite books. Korean Air was one of the least safe airlines in the world and was almost deregistered, not because of any problem with its processes or its maintenance procedures or anything else, but because of the individual power hierarchy that led to dysfunctional behaviour from the people in the cockpit. This is what led it to being one of the least safe airlines in the world. But now it's one of the safest. They brought in an outsider to fix the cultural differences that led to suboptimal crew performance. So, for example, back in the day, the first officer wouldn't challenge the captain directly even when the captain was clearly in the wrong. Knowing this, being sensitive to it, and understanding these cultural differences is going to help you to avert a disaster. Hey guys, I just wanted to cut in super quickly and say that if you haven't yet subscribed, reviewed or rated our podcast and you haven't told all your friends and colleagues that this is the best leadership podcast in the world, please take one minute out of your day and do it. The only way we can help more leaders like you is if they know about us. So if you're getting any value out of the podcast whatsoever, please forward this episode to someone right now. Yes, right now. And then go to your favorite podcast player, subscribe and leave a rating. And make sure you head to the website once you've finished listening to this episode, www.yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 60 and download the free PDF downloadable that we have created for this episode, 10 ways to improve outcomes with remote teams. It's an absolute cracker. All right, back to the episode, guys. Number six, work at the right level. This is a no-brainer. Now, I'm not going to go into this too deeply. We've got episode seven of the podcast out there about working at the right level, and we do dedicate a whole module of leadership beyond the theory to this because it's a key competence for a leader. But work out how to get outcomes without dipping down, without micromanaging, or without having to have an inappropriate level of view of the detail. 
Number seven, develop your skills in challenging coaching and confronting. Now, the reason you have to do this is because your touch points are fewer with remote teams, so you have to make them count. There's less time and opportunity to do it, so your skills have to be more finely honed. And you have to be really confident and comfortable that when you have these interactions, you can step seamlessly into the phase you're in, challenging coaching or confronting. Number eight, draw people into the conversation directly. So when Adrian asked this question of me initially, he said that teleconferences are really hard when you have people on the other end of a voice line because you can't see what they're doing, they can't see you, and sometimes you ask a question and what you get is tumbleweeds in response. And so it's really important that if you're asking questions, don't just put them out there generally, just say things like, Natalie, what do you think about that? Draw people in individually. And don't be afraid to leave a pregnant pause while people work up the courage to contribute. So sometimes if I'm running a workshop and I ask a question and I get a look at blank faces, I say, guys, I'm here until five o'clock today so I can afford to wait for an answer. This is a great technique for harnessing diversity too because you're drawing out people's unique views. Finally, number nine, ask, don't tell. You'll get a much better idea of what's going on if you have leaders in remote operations explain to you what they're delivering, what's important and what they're focusing on. If you're constantly telling them, they will nod and smile and then go off and do exactly what they were going to do before you opened your mouth. Now, I know there are a thousand different flavours of remote location scenarios. What constitutes good leadership is the same for any team, regardless of location, but problems and issues will be magnified with teams that you don't have constant contact with. If you don't have the right leaders between you and them, you have a problem. But if you don't know how to get around that and interrogate below the leaders, doing it without micromanaging, you'll also be in trouble. Take this seriously as it's going to drive your results to a great extent. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 60. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share it with your network as this is how we improve the world of work. I look forward to next week's episode, Learning to Say No. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>